So to start things off today, I want to share a recording that my colleague Jessica made while she was on a road trip in the Blue Ridge Mountains. To set the scene, she made this recording from her travel trailer, and she was looking out at the highest peak east of the Mississippi, Mount Mitchell. I wanted to make this recording actually on the day I hiked Mount Mitchell, but it was 18 degrees. And mind you, this is the end of April. It was 18 degrees and the wind was so terrible. There was no way I was going to be able to um, get a good recording. But I wanted to share with you as I'm on this trip, I have really been loving using the app PeakVisor, which allows me to pull up my phone use AR, augmented reality, to be able to see what the title is of all the peaks, what their height is. Um, There's a free option. You can use one location a day and it will show you um, things about mountains in the area you're in that you never knew. Peak Visor is one of our sponsors. Their app is like your own personal mountain guide. If you're a map lover like Jessica and I are, check out Peak Visor in the App Store. You just might love it. Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. I have some wonderful news. Out There received three awards from the Rocky Mountain chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists. We took first place for best podcast in our division. We got first place for mental health reporting for an episode called Outskating Your Demons, which was about this woman who goes on a long-distance skateboard trip. And our episode about exclusion in sports took second place for social justice reporting. That episode was called In the Name of Fairness. In case you missed any of these award-winning episodes, I have links to them in the show notes at outtherepodcast.com. It's hard to believe, but the current season of Out There is almost over. So I want to give you a sneak peek at our plans for the future. After this season wraps up in May, we're going to take a little break for a few weeks because everyone needs a break, even podcasters. And then we're going to give you a special summer treat. I know a lot of you are relatively new to Out There, and I want to do something nice to welcome you. So I thought I'd share some of our favorite stories from the early days of Out There. We have a whole bunch of episodes that have won awards or that resonated especially strongly with listeners, but many of those episodes are too old to show up in your podcast feed anymore. So I'm going to remedy that problem. Starting on June 16th, we're launching a season of favorites where we share out there oldies that you otherwise probably wouldn't get to hear. If you're new to the show, it'll be a great introduction to out there. If you've been listening for a long time, it'll be a wonderful trip down memory lane. Even better, I'd like to invite you to weigh in on which stories we include in the season. I put together a quick poll where you can vote on what you'd like to hear, and you can join in the fun regardless of whether you're a longtime fan or a brand new listener. To vote, just click the link in the episode description. The poll is super short, so it'll be really quick. In fact, why don't you pause the episode and vote right now? 
Or if you're driving or something and you can't take the poll right now, just make sure to vote before May 15th. Thank you so much. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. This season, we're exploring the theme, Things I Thought I Knew. Each episode, we're sharing a story about an outdoor experience that changed someone's understanding. Today's story is about love and loss. When we lose someone we love, a lot of us have this instinct to escape to nature. We seek out healing from the outdoors, whether it's a mountaintop vista, a desert sunset, or a quiet seashore. But what happens when nature doesn't cooperate? When the weather is bad and your happy place is miserable? What can we learn about grief and acceptance when nature is at its ugliest? Paul Barak has the story. And just to let you know, this story gets into some really heavy topics. We're going to talk about depression, suicide, and substance use. So be a little gentle with yourself. I'll never forget Meredith's face the first time that I saw her on stage. It was beaming, full of that excitement that drew people like us into amateur stand-up comedy. She had this strawberry blonde hair and this voice like a cartoon mouse and this inability to not say everything she was thinking. It wasn't love at first sight. There weren't butterflies or stars exploding. I didn't even realize what was happening, which was gravity doing what gravity does best, pulling two bodies together. By the time I finally got up the courage to ask her out, she said no, because she was already dating someone else. When she asked if we could still be friends, I said no, because that never works. Within a week, we were texting every day. And within a month, she was one of my best friends. She just had that way with people. You couldn't not love her, despite all her contradictions. Meredith was incredibly self-centered, but she was also one of the most supportive friends you could ever want. She had this joyous belly laugh punctuated by these bear-like snorts that would spread grins across a room. But she also quietly dealt with a lot of painful health issues that she couldn't afford to get diagnosed, let alone treated. On stage, her jokes were mostly upbeat, and she saved her dark, blunt sense of humor for her closest friends. At every moment, Meredith was uncontrollably herself. I love that most about her, because it meant I could stop pretending to be normal, too. We finally started dating, and for a year, Meredith was the one. 
We spent our days texting jokes back and forth, trying to outdo each other, and nights performing at the same open mics. We produced storytelling shows together, featuring our friends from the stand-up scene. She was ambitious and capable. The sex was fun and adventurous. She was everything I wanted. Then I hit this wall that I always hit after a year in a relationship. I started asking myself, is this enough? Could there be someone better? I always needed something bright and shiny to look forward to. And with Meredith, things were becoming repetitive. I didn't know how to talk about it, let alone fix it. So we broke up. But neither of us could break that gravity between us. So we spent the next two years in orbit, texting every day, failing to date other people, falling into bed whenever we could, and pushing each other away again. Until finally, after a long phone call, we both agreed to stop fighting gravity. Who else besides our best friend did we want to end up with? I grinned for days after that conversation. There was still a lot that we had to work on, and a lot of growing up to do. I wasn't sure if it'd be enough in the end, but after all that time we'd wasted, we had our whole future together to try and get it right. days later, Meredith killed herself. For a week, the sun didn't shine in Seattle. I spent that gray, rainy week laughing at my friend's dark jokes, sobbing at everything else, and trying my best to cause an alcohol shortage in Seattle. The world didn't seem real anymore. Everything around me looked like stage props, and food tasted like dead wood. When I was alone, I'd think about those three years, and everything that should have gone differently between us. The only thing that got me through that week was Shy Shy Beach. I'd been planning to take Meredith there once the weather cleared up because it was the most beautiful beach in Washington State. And I knew that because I'd Googled most beautiful beach in Washington State and then read nothing about it. But the photos I'd seen looked incredible. There were these ocean-carved towers of basalt called sea stacks that rose above a pristine shore in a glassy ocean. Massive, freestanding ramparts and shipwrecks of stone bathed in warm skies and gemstone sunsets. Those bright skies and majestic sea stacks I'd seen online were my refuge, and I held on to them tightly at Meredith's viewing. I'll never forget her face. It had always been so animated sharing everything that was going on beneath. 
Now, it was just a mask. They'd covered up her neck with a scarf, but they couldn't do anything about her lips. The belt had turned them purple. She'd left a note. She'd had blinding migraines the past couple of days. Her joints were swelling. Her stomach had twisted up. Her back had gone out. And she couldn't see a life where she wasn't always hurting. But it was depression, too. I knew she wasn't thinking clearly. Because in shaky handwriting, the note ended with the truly insane idea that one day, the people who loved her the most would get over it. Her family asked me why, just like our friends had all week. They wanted to know if it had been about money or some recent disappointment or a terminal diagnosis. They just wanted to know what they'd missed. Suicide is an American epidemic. And most people don't understand it because we don't talk about it enough. I didn't know how to tell them at the time what I knew, having lived with a lifetime of depression. When someone commits suicide, you want to believe it was an accident. As if they'd gotten too close to an open window without realizing and carelessly stumbled backwards. You want to believe that if you'd just seen them struggling and reached out in time, you could have pulled them to safety. But sometimes, they're not reaching out to you at all. Meredith walked away quietly from a party full of supportive, loving friends to hang herself alone in her apartment. Each suicide is as individual and complex as the person you've lost. The way I saw it, Meredith didn't choose to die. Her brain killed her, the same as if it was a stroke. Or at least, that's what I told myself then and now. And I still wonder if there was something I could have said, some magic combination of words that, when put together the right way at the right time, could have kept her in this world. My only hope, then and now, is that she didn't regret it in the end. I hope that just before it went dark, there was a moment without pain. And I hope she lived in that moment forever. But I couldn't say any of that at Meredith's viewing. 
I could barely get the words out to tell Meredith how much I'd miss her. And that's the worst part about saying goodbye. Feeling that sudden weight in your chest of all the words that you wish you were saying instead of goodbye. Friends had invited me into their homes that weekend, but I couldn't just sit in this dark world without Meredith. I needed more if I was going to get through this. I needed to know that there was still sunshine and beauty somewhere. I needed to get to Shy Shy Beach. Hey, it's Willow. We'll hear the rest of the story in a moment. But first, I want to tell you about another podcast series you might like. It's called Unnatural Selection, and it's about the benefits and pitfalls of humans tinkering with the environment. The show looks at indigenous practices of burning the landscape, how human emotions affect wolf management, and the possible link between conservation and genetically engineered animals. It's definitely motivating. That's Morgan Springer, the show's co-host. When I listen to these stories, I aspire to do better. Unnatural Selection is one of our sponsors. It's a special season of the podcast Points North from Interlock and Public Radio. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit pointsnorthradio.org. And now, back to the story. That night, I was at my friend Tyler's apartment, telling him about my plans. And unexpectedly, he said, Sounds dope, man. I'll come with you. What Tyler secretly meant was, I don't like nature, but all of us are worried about you. And I said, sure, let's invite Sung, too. Because what I secretly meant was, I need a buffer because you are loud and blunt. Both Tyler and Sung liked my plan. Camp in the Ho rainforest, then drive north to spend the day at Shy Shy Beach. It was going to be an easy road trip to a gorgeous, sunny spot. Just what we all needed. The night after Meredith's wake, rain was hammering down as we pulled into the Hoa Rainforest parking lot. We waited it out for a half hour with some vodka and grapefruit juice until the car got claustrophobic. Some grabbed the sleeping bags, Tyler got the tents, and I led them down the slatted boardwalk with my iPhone lighting the way. Halfway to the campsite, on the edge of that white halo of rain, I saw the emerald eyes of a cougar staring back at me. Which, if you've never had the pleasure, is like staring down the barrel of a gun covered in fur. It slid behind a bushy tree, and I turned back and said, Bad news, guys. There's a cougar. 
And they did not believe me, because literally a moment before, I'd said, with great confidence, don't worry guys, I've never seen a cougar out here. But they did believe me when the whole cougar emerged on the other side, circled between us and our campsite, and then hunched down behind an embankment. Now the worst thing you can do is run. So I turned and said, don't run. Which Tyler didn't hear because he'd already sprinted back to the car, where Sung and I quickly joined him. And in the rain, we smoked and cracked jokes, and soon we all broke down. Tyler pulled us together under his umbrella, and we mourned for Meredith and all the other people in our lives that we'd lost to suicide and cancer and every other horrible thing the world will do to those that you love the most. And at every snap of branches, we'd whip around in a panic and shine our phones at the surrounding woods for that cougar that was still out there somewhere. By the time we pulled into the Shy Shy Beach parking lot the next afternoon, both Tyler and Sung had had enough of the trip. I'd gotten us lost all morning, and we were tired, hungover, and cramped from sleeping in the car. Tyler shut off the ignition and said, So, the beach is just behind the stand of trees, right? And I replied, yes, because I had read nothing about it. Then I walked up to the trail sign, which read, Shy Shy Beach, two miles. Then I walked back and said, bad news, guys, we're hiking. And neither of them were dressed for that, since I had also said yesterday, with great confidence, that we would not be hiking. It was drizzling, so I asked a retired couple coming out of the woods how the trail looked. Mostly for Tyler's sake, since he was wearing his favorite pair of fire engine red Chuck Taylors. And they said, it's fine, just a little muddy. But it was not a little muddy. It was a two-mile swamp. And I was now dragging my friends through that swamp. Mud poured into our shoes and we were all shivering in the haze. I could hear my friends complaining and slipping into the muck. Tyler's umbrella was tearing on the low branches and soaking his leather jacket. Everything seemed terrible. But I knew that Shy Shy Beach was going to make up for all of it. Suddenly, the path dead-ended, right at the edge of a 150-foot bluff. And there was no real trail down to the bottom. Instead, there was this nylon rope that was looped back and forth around some trees that clearly no engineer had ever signed off on. The only footholds were the rocks and roots sticking out from the soil, so you kind of had to hold on to this rope, work your way down backwards, and hope that your shoes had good traction. Unlike, say, 
a pair of Chuck Taylors. So I turned down trail to say, guys, bad news. But they were already looking down the bluff and shaking their heads to say, Paul, there is no way. And I agreed, then grabbed the rope and started down. I was getting to Shy Shy Beach, whether I repelled or fell down there. And my friends followed, choosing me over personal safety because it was the theme of the weekend. The descent was somehow even sketchier than it looked. But the closer I got to the bottom, the faster my heart pounded, until my feet touched flat ground. I'd made it. There was nothing left between me and this refuge that I'd been waiting to reach all week. With tears flowing in anticipation, I finally stepped out onto the sands of Shy Shy Beach. And it was the ugliest beach that I have ever seen. Both the sky and the ocean were gray as wet concrete, and the shore was covered with these quivering yellow mounds of phlegmy sea foam, like, like the ocean had the flu. And the sea stacks that I'd seen in all the photos were dim shadows, miles away beneath the high tide that trapped us where we stood. I wandered down to a driftwood log, where the rolling waves coughed up more of this ocean mucus speckled with shards of plastic. My shoulders shook. I didn't know what to do. Tyler joined me on the log, put his hand on my shoulder, and said, Paul, this beach is disgusting. And I said nothing, because he was right. But then Sung sat on my other side, put his hand on my shoulder, and said, Nah, man, I'm glad we came here. I think it's pretty nice. And moments after saying that, this rogue wave crashed against the log, slapping a huge load of sea phlegm right across Sung's face. As Tyler and I sprinted away just in time. Further up the beach, Tyler lit up a joint and started scraping the mud out of his socks. Sung passed me a cigarette out of a soggy pack, saying much less than usual. We'd have to head back soon. Sundown was coming, and we had a whole swamp to return through. I looked down the beach at the distant sea stacks we'd never get to. After all the driving, the cougar, the cramped night, the swamp, all we'd done is find another dark part of this world without Meredith. I glanced over to where the tide line met the bluff. 
A shaft of sunlight cut through the clouds, lighting up a wet patch of sand. It was the only sun that any of us had seen in this cold, dark week. I said, guys, there's sunlight. Do you want to come with me? And they said, no. Because they were not following me another step at that point. Which was fine. They weren't supposed to be here. Meredith was. When the tide was low and the sky was blue and we finally had more time. More time to make each other laugh. More time to say we loved each other. More time to say we were sorry. More time with our best friend. To try and get it right. Because we weren't ready to let go yet. But at the end of the worst week of my life, and the worst camping trip of my friends' lives, this is what I had instead. Three years where Meredith and I loved each other the best that we could, and a warm little sunbreak on the ugliest stretch of beach in Washington State. And in that moment, I understood that it all had to be enough, even if it never would be. And as we walked back through the swamp to return to that dimmer world, I understood something else. If I was ever lucky enough to feel a love like that again, if that gravity ever pulled me as close to another person as I'd been to Meredith, I'd make certain that it was enough. That was Paul Barak. He's a writer living in Washington State. And he wanted me to let you know that he has found another love as deep as his love for Meredith. Or maybe even deeper. And he has made sure that that love is enough. He's now happily married. Also, Paul has been on Out There twice before. He did a story about returning back to the real world after doing a through-hike, and he did another piece about what happens when the adventure of a lifetime turns out to be pretty miserable. I have links to those episodes in the show notes at outtherepodcast.com. It's time now for Out There Favorites. This is the part of the show where we share some of our favorite resources. Favorite apps, favorite books, favorite podcasts, gear. These are not ads. We're not getting any money from the things we recommend. It's just a chance for us to spread the love. 
Hello, my name is Stacia Bennett, and I am on the Out There Podcast Ambassador Team. I'm so excited to be sharing with you three of my top favorite resources today. To start with, I'm going to share with you one of my current favorite podcasts, the Hiker Podcast, featuring host Andy Neal, where he interviews a variety of people that are involved in the hiking community, whether that's day hiking or through hiking. I'm personally not usually a fan of interview style podcasts, but Andy's enthusiasm as well as the interesting stories of the people that he interviews really make this one a pleasure to listen to. The second resource that I'd like to mention with you is one that I use and open on my phone almost every single day, and that is the Gaia GPS app. While not as immediately user-friendly as some other apps on the market, I find this to be an invaluable tool whenever I'm trying to plan a trip, map out routes, compare distances and elevation profiles, as well as navigating in the backcountry, most especially whenever I'm hiking off trail or on trails that are poorly marked. The final resource that I wanted to mention to you today is a really cool company that you may have not have heard of before, and that is Lightheart Gear. Uh, it's a woman-owned company based out of Asheville, North Carolina. Um, the company makes a lot of different types of gear, everything from tents to rain gear to clothing, and a couple of pieces that I find myself wearing and using on almost every hike that I go on are my women's backpacking dress, which um, has an incredible fit, awesome fabric, quick drying, extremely comfortable and can be purchased both with and without pockets. Um, And then their micro grid fleece hoodie, which is super soft and is just one of the most versatile layering pieces um, that I personally have in my repertoire. So those are my top three resources that I wanted to mention to you on today's episode. Thanks. Again, that was Stacia Bennett. She's one of Out There's ambassadors. I have links to all the things she recommended in the show notes at outtherepodcast.com. And you can follow Stacia on Instagram at Adventure Like a Girl. Coming up next time on Out There, what if something happened that made you rethink who you are? I was surprised at my own reaction. I mean, in my mind, oceans were for luxury cruises and island vacations, bikini babes and long-haired surfers. How was a mountain person like me so drawn to the sea? More than drawn, I felt a connection to it. Somehow felt at home there. Tune in on May 12th for our final episode of the season. It's a story that takes us from the Gulf of Mexico to the Camino de Santiago and explores why it can be good to stop defining yourself too rigidly. Before you go, don't forget to take the poll about our upcoming season. We make out there for you and because of you, and we want the episodes to really resonate. So take a minute and vote for the stories you most want to hear. Just click the link in the episode description to take the poll. Hi, I'm Jessica Taylor, and I'm the advertising manager at Out There Podcast. I'm a total map geek, so I love being able to identify and look at what's around me. 
Jessica made this recording when she was in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. If you're a map geek like she is, you probably like to know what mountains you're looking at when you're out on a hike or some other adventure. That's where an app called Peak Visor comes in handy. Peak Visor is one of our sponsors. Their app is like your own personal mountain guide. They have intricate 3D maps to help you plan out your adventures. And when you're out on those adventures, it helps you figure out what you're looking at. Check out Peak Visor in the App Store. You just might love it. You can support Out There by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Heartfelt reviews from listeners like you will help other people discover this podcast. And the more people who listen, the better we can grow and thrive. You can also help us out financially by becoming a patron. Patrons are listeners who make monthly contributions to Out There through a crowdfunding platform called Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash outtherepodcast or just click the link in the episode description to become a patron today. This episode was written by Paul Barak, story editing by Forrest Wood and me, Willow Belden. Out There's advertising manager is Jessica Taylor. Our audience growth director is Sheba Joseph. Kara Schaefer is our print content coordinator. Our ambassadors are Tiffany Duong, Ashley White, and Stacia Bennett. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. Have a beautiful day, and we'll see you in two weeks.